Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, that's uh, New Testament page 111. Hear now God's word. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medias, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phegria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Syrian, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange. And I'm Pastor Corey, one of the associate ministers here. Today, as it's the day of Pentecost, we thought we'd do something a little bit different having multiple voices to present the message. And so we thank you for being a part of this time as we worship God together. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're in this season right now where there are lots of graduations. The past few weeks, I know that we've had graduations here in our community, colleges, people that are finishing up their degrees, and that graduation is a mark. It's a transformation. They are forever that graduate. And so we've recognized that, and we've seen all other kinds of graduations as well. We've even seen preschool graduation just this week. Ephraim, my five-year-old graduate from Orange United Methodist school, uh, Preschool, has been a, a part of it since he was in the ones. And so, and I ha- we have a picture that shows his transformation. So this is when we came to Orange, and then that's when he graduated just this past Wednesday. And you can see the change in him, the change. He is completely transformed. And yet this past Wednesday, we marked it. We had a ceremony and a celebration to mark the fact that nothing will ever be the same. He is officially a kindergartner. Those graduations are those significant marks. We graduate from preschool to become a kindergartner. We graduate from elementary school to go to middle school. We graduate from middle school to go to high school. And each one of these is a mark 
of transformation, something that has been achieved, something moving forward. And there are these other kinds of marks of transformation that we see, that things that take place that we can't go back from. In just a couple of weeks, both Pastor Corey and I will be attending our respective annual conferences. And every year at annual conference, there's a special service called a service of ordering the life of the ministry of the church. And at that service, there are individuals who are coming forward to become a licensed minister, a local pastor. There are those that are being commissioned and sent out as pastors. But as a part of that, there is a time called the ordination where the pastor will come and they'll kneel before the bishop. And the bishop and other clergy will lay hands upon them, praying a prayer, ordaining them. And then they will receive the stole, the stole marking that sign of being ordained elder in the church. Not always will remember that time when I was ordained, going and kneeling before Bishop Marion Edwards, who, as I was kneeling before him, he took the stole, after he had placed his hands and prayed over me, he took the stole and placed it around my neck and he pulled ever so slightly and he whispered ever so gently, never forget the weight of the burden that you now bear. Pastor Corey was just ordained that my ordination took place almost 20 years ago, which blows my mind. This Wednesday will be the 20-year anniversary. And we have pictures from when we were ordained. Pastor Corey was ordained just four years ago in the Virginia Annual Conference. And we, we thought we would relive these. Yeah, there's you go. That's the moment where the bishop is about to lay hands on me to represent the Holy Spirit, transferring the Holy Spirit upon me. And our, today, we celebrate the Holy Spirit, and these are both our ordination stoles. So the color of the Holy Spirit is red. These were what we received that day. I believe it or not, even 20 years ago, we had pictures. There's me and Jennifer, <laughs> uh, and I had hair at the time. You can tell what 20 years of ministry has done. Uh, we have, my father was one of those that participated in my ordination. So there he is wearing his red ordination stole as he had himself had placed hands upon me. And then we even have a picture of my mom wearing a red dress uh, to symbolize that, that red representing the gift of that spirit. I mean... These were our special moments, transformational moments, something that I knew I was changed and could not go back. In fact, it was not until that moment of ordination that we're not really supposed to be called reverend. You earned that title reverend at that ordination. And so we were transformed, took on a new name almost at that mark, at that time of ordination. And we see these transformative moments, not just in our own lives, but even in Scripture. In biblically, we see Jesus. He has this moment of baptism when his cousin John uh, baptizes him by water and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And we have this moment that nothing will be the same. His ministry has officially begun his mission into the world. Luke 4 tells us the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to proclaim good news, to free those who are in prison, to offer recovery of sight to the blind and set the oppressed free. Now that Jesus is in mission by the marking of his baptism, nothing will ever be the same. A transformational moment. And for the life of the church, the transformational moment was truly the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the church's moment, that mark of transition, which we became something that we were not before, empowered by the Spirit to be in ministry and in mission as the communal body of Christ. It makes me think of in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, 
Peter writes, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The day of Pentecost is that mark, that moment of transformation where we became one. We became a people. A people empowered by the Spirit. And so with all of these moments, these marks of transformation and transition, we have questions. You know, when you graduate from college, everybody asks, what's next? <laughs> or when you're ordained, people ask, well, where are you going? Or after Jesus is baptized, what will he do? Who is he? And for Pentecost, we are left with this question. Once the Spirit descends and we receive it, what do we do now? As Pastor Sarah read that beginning of Acts chapter 2, I always love hearing that story, and I always love hearing someone else read all the names of the communities. <laughs> Thank you for that gift today. As we hear in that scripture, we, we are told about how the disciples are gathered together in one place, and suddenly they hear this sound like a mighty rushing wind. I, I love the way that Luke writes in Acts. He, it sounds like a mighty rushing wind, and the Spirit descends like or as tongues of fire, and it rests upon each one of them. And suddenly, in that moment, there's this mark. This transformational moment has come. As the Spirit falls upon them, they are transformed. They are transformed from disciples. When Jesus, when they were studying from Jesus, they were disciples, a word really simply meaning students. But when the Spirit comes upon them, they are transformed. They're no longer disciples. They are now apostles, a word that means one who is sent. And as they receive that Spirit, they rush out into the, the, the streets. And people are coming from everywhere. I mean, Jerusalem was already filled with people from all over. And people are coming out because they too have heard this tremendous sound. And they don't know what it is. And they hear each one of these apostles speaking. And they're speaking in different languages. They're speaking in the languages that they themselves understand. And they don't understand what's happening. One of the most comical parts of scripture I find is when they say, well, surely they must be drunk. And Peter steps up and says, no, these men are certainly not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. I always find that one funny. <laughs> that, that's the excuse yeah. to explain the behavior. But Peter steps up. He's been transformed. He was a disciple. Now he's an apostle. He was a fisherman, but now he's a preacher. And as he preaches this message, people hear this message about repentance. Repentance. And that this transformational understanding of who Jesus was, that he was not just an ordinary man. He was not just an ordinary rabbi. He was the Messiah, transforming their understanding of who he was. And that word, that message, it cuts them to the heart. It, the scripture says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? I love that cut to the heart language. That moment when something has changed, you've heard something you can't unhear. You might wish you could unhear it, but you can't unhear it. Have you experienced a time that you yourself have heard something that cut you to the heart? I think I love that line in this passage as well because I think all of us can resonate with that. We've heard a message or a song or seen something that has cut us to the heart, that has resonated so deeply with us that we will never be 
the same again. And I have had that experience back when I was an undergrad. I was studying the New Testament. I was in a New Testament class, and we had to read Acts as an assignment. And so that's what I was doing. I was reading it for the quiz we were going to have and the paper we were going to have to write. And as I got to chapter 20, Paul speaking, uh, and Luke is recording this, and Paul reflects in verse 24. He says, let my life be worth nothing. If I do not do the one thing to which I have been called, which is to testify to the good news of God's grace every day, let my life be worth nothing if I do not do the thing to which I'm called. And I was one of those things I wish I could have unheard because I, oh no, I knew from that moment on where I was sat in, I'll be standing here today. I knew that nothing would be the same. I was cut to the heart. As they themselves have been cut to the heart and they asked this question, what now? What do we do now? They've received this transformational moment. Peter begins to make it clear. Because once we've been cut to the heart, nothing can ever be the same. So Peter replies to them when they ask, what do we do with this that we have now received? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Be baptized, and every one of you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have this cut to the heart, this eternal transformation, internal transformation. And then Peter encourages them to be baptized, to have an external marking, a ritual, a moment, a graduation, an ordination, a moment to mark and have witnesses there that marks this moment. And so they do, but then this question is still there. What now? What does life look like on the other side of this ritual? What does life look like on the other side of this inward transformation? And Peter lays that out as well. We see how they begin to have four significant marks demonstrating this transformed life of the spirited church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four marks are these significant marks of the spirited church. This is what's next. And so we thought this morning that we might try to explore what those four marks might look like for us, but then for us as a spirited church. And so we start off with that first part that they began to live into. After having been baptized, after having begun to have repented of their sins, having received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we have struggled with and talked about what it means to have this, what kind of transformational teaching moments of studying the apostles' teaching, studying Holy Scripture. And I think back, it goes all the way back to childhood when parent, volunteers would, would help teach Sunday school as a child. How many of you remember doing sword drills in church? Do you know what a sword drill is? Yeah, they'd call out a particular Bible verse, and you'd be the first one to try to find it. And if you found it, you might get a sticker or a sucker or a gold star. How about scripture memory verses? Anybody remember trying to memorize different verses as a child? Yeah, I mean, one of our favorite ones, Jesus wept. <laughs> you could always get a point for that. You know, people took time to invest in my life, not just my parents, but people within the context of the church took those baptismal vows so serious that they gave of their time to help me understand who I was as a beloved child of God. And then I think about those people that volunteered for youth ministry. Look, youth ministry 
man, the people that volunteer with youth ministry, they have earned their halos already, okay? It's tough. It's tough to try to engage a youth, a young person, to try to learn the passage of Scripture that you're trying to teach them so that they might be able to claim it for themselves. But each one of those people, they poured something into my life, something that they may never have been able to see the fruit of. But I would not be who I am. I would not have the transformed life without those people that put that into my life, those people that helped me understand the studying of scripture. What about for you? Well, I do a lot of small group ministry here at Orange, and so teaching and, and teaching scripture in particular is very important to me, but I love it because that's how I learn. I learn through teaching and through that discipline, study and having to prepare for others, but a transformational moment for me when it comes to scripture. About two years ago, I was helping uh, teach a class at Duke Divinity School, and one of the New Testament professors came to speak with our students about the challenge it is to hold the profession of pastor uh, and studying scripture with the personal Christian experience of scripture. And how do you how do you balance that? And he talked about this first reading of scripture when you first encounter it, and it's just it's amazing. You know, it's like falling in love for the first time. And you meet this person and wow, you're just so overwhelmed and everything is beautiful. And then your relationship develops. <laughs> just like ours does, and you start to realize that this person isn't perfect, and this book isn't perfect, and that you have to, you start to see, and you can stay there for a really, really long time, and just obsessed with all the, the flaws and things, and then he said, but then you get to a third reading, where you reconcile those two things, and while you hold the scripture accountable, and you treat it the way it should be, you also love it, and you also attend to it with that same wonder and amazement, and I thought, Wow, if I have to spend my whole life trying to get to that third reading, I will do that. Holding it accountable, but being amazed by it. I find even now, studying the scripture, I mean, I hope that Sunday morning is not the only time you get to encounter scripture. It certainly isn't the case for us, but I know I find myself looking forward every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock to logging on to my Zoom account to join in with the Band of Brothers. And there, a group of men from... A lot from Orange, but some even scattered across the state. I give thanks for Bill Knight participates with us almost every single Thursday, all the way on the western part of the state. But he zooms in, and we study together. We wrestle with the scripture. We may not always agree, but it's through that time that I find myself learning, gaining new insights from other people. And I, it's such a gift for me to be able to be a part of a Bible study with other people that we can struggle and find that that new understanding of what God's word is saying to us. And beyond that spirited community being led in that study of scripture, we're also called by the apostles' teaching to be together, to be in fellowship. And so the word here used is koinonia. So I want to know if, what has been your experience of koinonia as a pastor and beyond? Yeah, when we think of fellowship in this context, koinonia, it's a sacrificial, selfless love. It's a way that you come alongside someone, not thinking of anything else in return, just being present, offering yourself as a gift. I'm reminded of one way that I experienced such koinonia many years ago. Jennifer and I were preparing to move from one church to the next, and it was a strange time of the year to move. It was in January, uh, and in that time, we had a three-month-old child. We had a son that had just turned two. Our lives were in chaos, especially as we were preparing to move. 
And just the day before I went to pick up the moving truck, I got sick. I had the flu. And then over the course of the next few days, my condition worsened and I developed an acute bout of pancreatitis that ended up putting me in the hospital for 13 days. I was so sick. And Jennifer was on her own, tending to the two boys. Her mom came to offer help. My parents offered help in whatever way. But we had a whole house to move. And so some of the people at the church that I was going to, that we'd already begun to develop some relationships with, that koinonia, they rented a truck, and they came to our house, and they packed up all of our belongings. And when I got out of the hospital, I lived in a new home, a new place. I tell people all the time, easiest move I've ever had. <laughs> Problem was, I couldn't find a thing because I didn't pack it. <laughs> but I experienced that incredible gift of fellowship that incredible gift of koinonia, and I will never forget it. I have been changed from having received that transformational mark. How about for you? Well, I have seen it. You know, it's not always perfect, but I've seen it lived out so beautifully. I've been at Orange now for five years, and there is nothing more this church loves than a good care calendar, all right? <laughs> Love, I mean, and the thing about koinonia is it is grace lived out, right? Hmm. It's agendaless. There's nothing asked for in return, and that's the beauty of it. We, you've offered one another rides to appointments or meals or so many things, never wanting anything in return other than to give God glory. I've been the recipient of it during my maternity leave. I remember uh, a member brought me the most beautiful bouquet of roses out of their rose garden, and I was, I was in the vortex of infantum. And I got those flowers and I just thought, I can't eat them, the baby can't eat them. And I put them on the counter thinking, okay, flowers, good. And then I needed those flowers so much for the next, they lasted forever. But they were just such a source of joy and beauty in my house. And somebody gave them to us just to, to show the beauty of God's creation and it was, it was made real for us. Yeah, we experience that koinonia through one another. I think about even on Wednesday nights when we come for choir, uh, I do my best to behave while I'm here. <laughs> but the koinonia that we share together as the choir comes and to and offer encouragement and support to one another, it is so beautiful to get to experience that fellowship with one another in those kind of moments. It's, once again, one of those transformational marks within the life of the Spirited Church. And beyond that fellowship, the third piece of this is breaking bread. And so how do we experience breaking of bread? We understand in the context of communion, but we also experience it in the more ordinary, and just being with one another in a common meal. And so I think about the ways I experience breaking bread, and the best analogy I have for it in my life now is a cup of coffee. I love having coffee. Anybody want to have coffee, please let me know. Uh, but I love having that opportunity to find commonality over a shared cup and to connect with each other and to learn about what's happening. And I always find that after that opportunity, my cup is filled. Just like when I come to the table and I have my cup filled and I'm sent out, my purpose is renewed when I have those opportunities to connect with you all and to, to others and in my family. I feel rejuvenated and renewed and sent again. How about for you? Yeah, for me, the breaking of bread, as important as it is, it begins with the making of bread. Some of you know that during the time of the pandemic, I took up the hobby of making sourdough bread. It was a way of me remembering and honoring my mother as my mom used to make the best sourdough bread. And so I started making sourdough bread. And 
as I bring all the ingredients together and put it all together, I mean, I just started making the bread yesterday for communion next Sunday. And as I get everything ready, I clean my hands. And No, I don't do that. Uh, but as I put all the ingredients together, I again, am reminded of how once we were no people, but God has made us through him. We are one people. We who are many become one. And over that process of making that bread, it really goes, it takes three days. I mixed it all together yesterday. Today I'll punch it down and separate it out. And then tomorrow it's risen again and it'll be ready to bake. And in all of that, I think about the way that God is bringing us all together. And at that table, we all come. We all come and we receive the gift of love. And as a child, we were sharing memories of those times that we first received communion. And I remember my dad being up there serving, leading us in that time, and coming forward and kneeling at the altar rail and receiving a white square of Wonder Bread and then a little cup of grape juice. And I took it. And my mom and dad loved to tell the story that I said, Mmm, that was good. I want some more. <laughs> and shouldn't we all want more of Jesus? One of my earliest memories, not just of worship, but in general, is being able to come with my mom and dad to the altar to receive just like everyone else. When you're a kid, you're left out of so many things because you're a kid. And I remember that was something I got to be part I mattered at the altar. And I still feel that way. Everyone matters at this altar. Yeah. So these marks, once again, we've, we've talked about they attended to the, the teaching of the apostles. They made sure that they were fellowshipping, koinonia together. They then were sharing in the breaking of bread. But then the last thing is prayer. How does prayer shape or transform your lives? Well, I know for me, I've had, it, like so many things, it ebbs and flows with the seasonality of life. You know, sometimes I'm so committed, I'm so disciplined in my prayer life, and it's very routine and regular. And then there's other seasons where my prayer life is expressed in different ways. I know I pray when I sing, especially in worship. I'm sure you may feel that way. I pray when I walk. We have a walking group on Sunday afternoons at 1, and we pray as we start. We pray at the end. And I pray, I pray when I'm in the car often, because <laughs> it's a moment of quiet. or when Wait I'm till sitting. Ephraim starts driving. <laughs> I'll really be praying. Uh, and I pray when I'm sitting on the couch with my boy. They're a reminder. I often pray over them while we're sitting and having our morning time. Um, but I also lead on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. I lead a virtual 20-minute meditation. And we experiment with prayer there. We try anything and everything. We do Lectio Divina, Visio Divina, imaginative prayer. This week we use music as a way to guide our prayer life. And we just have this opportunity to, to see this week. My, maybe this uh, resonates with me. Maybe this is how God wants to speak to me. And we practice a lot listening to God mm -hmm. rather than just speaking. How about you? Every morning, once I've hit my snooze button the final time, I roll face down, face in my pillow, and I pray the exact same prayer, a very simple prayer. I pray, Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. Amen. It's a way of starting the day of me acknowledging that the love that I have for God and understanding the love that God has for me but also recognizing the complete dependence that I have upon the God that I'm praying to. Lord, I love you. Lord, I need you. Amen. Those kind of prayers, they do start our day. They transform us. They help shape us. And I think about when I've had people praying for me, you feel that. When you know someone is praying for you, the feeling, you know it is real. It's significant. 
I've even been thinking something that we've been talking about here is that one of the churches that I pastored had a group that every Sunday morning before the services, a group would come together and they would pray. They would pray simply for that service. They would pray for all the people that would be coming. They would pray for all the people that would be serving in the service. They would be praying for all the people that would just be coming that didn't really even want to come, but were just showing up. And I felt every week, every time, that something different happened in that service that started because of the prayers. Been thinking about starting that up here. If you're interested, We'll add you to the team. So we think about these four aspects of a lived life, a spirited church, that we study the scriptures, that we spend time with one another, we break bread together, and we pray. And this week, we want to invite you, today is the day of Pentecost. Without the descending of the Holy Spirit upon the church, none of these things matter. It is only through the Spirit's empowerment that any of them are able to transform us. So I want to invite you during the anthem, the song of response, uh, that Pastor Adam and I will lead in just a moment. We want to invite you to come forward and to receive one of these Pentecost candles. It's red and stripless. Don't worry, just keep it upright. And as you hold it, be reminded of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we want to encourage you this week, whenever you find yourself studying scripture, in fellowship, breaking bread, or praying, to light this candle. And then to use it as an inventory at the end of the week. How much of this candle is gone? How much would you want to be? How do we need the Spirit moving in our lives? How do we need to ask the Spirit to be a part of those lived things we do as a community called and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.